Rinkwide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks bounce back from a 4-1 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights on home ice on Thursday with a 4-3 victory over the Calgary Flames on Saturday night at the Saddledome. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway, Jeff Patterson, along with Blake Price. And going into this game, Blake, Nikita Zadorov obviously was one of the big storylines. The other was how would the Canucks respond after uh, getting a, a little bit of a lesson of exactly where they stand in the NHL pecking order as they came up way short against the defending champs on Thursday night. But uh, they got the start they were looking for. They were able to add to that. And uh, in the end, the Flames score a late one on the power play. They get back within one. But the Zadorov goal, the game winner for the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> against the team that traded them away just two days ago. Yeah, a great storyline, and, and it's a really nice road game for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, you know, they're still they still have to wait to prove people wrong about the beating a good team thing. But they're taking care of the middle class on down, and the Flames have worked their way back up to a middle class team uh, based on their recent run of play. And uh, I think Canucks fans should just should take this win and, and put it on the, the shelf and be A-OK with how it went, despite some skittish moments there at the end. Yeah, and I think, too, if you really think about it, like whether they hang with Vegas the rest of the way, it's far more for the Canucks about making sure that that good start to the season doesn't go to waste. And so really a win in regulation against the Calgary Flames and creeping two points in front of the Flames is more important than sort of flexing at home against Vegas. Like, yeah, they would have liked to have given the champs the punch in the nose, but it didn't happen that way. And this one sort of reminded me of that night going into Seattle a couple of weeks ago where they had lost to Colorado. Again, a measuring stick game. They didn't quite measure up, but it was important to take points off those teams that are behind you. And the Flames are starting to find their form. They have been better of late. They were 6-2-1 and one coming into this hockey game in their last nine. Rick Tockett talked about it uh, after the morning skate and said he had watched a lot of Calgary games lately and thought that they were playing as well as just about anybody in the National Hockey League. They were starting to find their game. And uh, they pushed right to the end, but ultimately the Canucks had built enough of a cushion that they're able to sock two more points away. They improved to 16-8-1 now on the season, up to 33 points are the Vancouver Canucks and 8-6 and on the road. And yeah, a frantic finish, but I really like the start. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised that it's Quinn Hughes. He had been held off the score sheet the last couple of games. No need for panic, but just the second time all season that the captain had been held without a point in consecutive games. And so you knew that he wanted to get things moving in the right direction. He wanted to spearhead the the response to the mm-hmm. loss to Vegas the other night. And there's Quinn Hughes doing what he has done so often now. Nine times a career high for him. And you wonder where that total ultimately is going to top out before this season is done. But Quinn Hughes with that uh, wrist shot snapshot off the left side beats Jacob Markstrom and gave the Canucks the kind of start they were looking for out on the road. He's been having trouble getting his shot through uh, recently because I think teams have wised up that, oh, he's a shooter now. They're going out to block him a lot, particularly when he's high in in the slot, high point. But even when he's walking down, he's getting uh, a lot of those shots blocked. And, and tonight is an example that he's not sort of trying to change the game because I think he just has to keep doing what he's doing and they're eventually going to go through again. And, and that one gets through. It's a spectacular goal. The timing of it's great to score first. 
and the Canucks never really looked back. I mean, they were the better team on the judges' cards for 58 minutes. That goal sort of allows you to exhale on the road, and it's a big one because the Canucks uh, got back to the basics after that loss to the Vegas Golden Knights, and and I think scoring first sort of allowed them to to sort of play within themselves the rest of the way. They probably don't think two minutes into the game up one nothing that they're going to be able to milk that across the finish line, but the Sam Laffrey goal six minutes later to go up 2 nothing on the road, and there was so much to like in that play. Ilya Mikheyev, who had a big-time night. We're going to talk about him a bunch as we go through this episode of Rinkwide. But he's standing his ground in front of the net. You know, he's a big, lanky body. Take away the eyes of Jacob Markstrom, who's a big netminder. Obviously, Canuck fans know that. And there was Mikheyev in front of the net. Shot gets through, a heavy shot from Phil Hironik. And Sam Lafferty getting the promotion to that line with Elias Pettersson. And there's Sam Lafferty to tap in loose puck at the side of the net. His sixth goal in 24 games. He got six goals and six assists in 24 games. And this guy's a half a point a game guy uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. So he's turned out to be an absolutely uh, supreme pickup for this hockey club for a fifth rounder on the eve of the season. But they've done this so well. And we've talked on a bunch of these shows, Blake, when you and I have been doing them. You know, I think Brock Besser this year and how many goals he scored on the doorstep. But there have been other guys as well, whether it's screens, whether it's tip-ins, whether it's cleaning up the loose garbage. I really do think, and Rick Tockett talks about his staples and the non-negotiables, getting to the inside, getting to the front of the net. We've heard that a bunch from the coach. I just think they're doing so much better job of this this year than they have in recent years. This is a, a team that has skill, that can win on the rush, that, but their ability to play some just some fundamental hockey is is actually, they're, they're kind of old school in a lot of ways. Heck, they've gone to two defensemen on the power play. So, you know, basic sort of old style hockey, it's working for them too. Love the Lafferty goal for just the simplicity of it. And the traffic in front, the, the heat maps every night are looking pretty good for the Canucks, whether they have a goal embedded in the heat maps or not. You know, the glowing embers at the foot of the, the crease look pretty good on the Canucks. And, you know, even the finesse players, they're they're not afraid to get there. We've seen Brock Besser score from in tight. It's uh, pretty heartening for the Canucks that they can win in a bunch of ways. And, of course, come playoff time, you know, the, the goals off the rush get a little fewer and farther between. So their ability to score those goals is going to be important. I like the start. They get up 2 nothing. Really would have liked it if they had got up 3 nothing and shorthanded there. Elias Pettersson strips the puck, sends it in front. JT Miller, who obviously has had this incredible start to the season, hasn't missed many of those. But, you know, that probably could have been the hammer right there if they'd been able to get up 3 nothing in this hockey game. But we see this all the time, a chance at one end and a goal at the other. And so the Flames dodge a bit of a bullet there. And then Michael Backlund scores the tap-in cross-seam passes that the Canucks have been so much better at uh, about intercepting and just denying uh, all season long. And a Calgary power play that's just been brutal. Coming into the game with two power play goals on home ice all season, they double that total uh, because they got the late one as well. And we'll talk some Canuck penalty killing too because that's becoming uh, more of a red flag for me than I would have liked and would have thought uh, the way the season started and just with the personnel that they've got. But that was a goal that gave the Flames some life, certainly, and that was Tyler Myers, Nikita Zadorov out there as the penalty-killing duo. But as much as I like Sam Lafferty's night, that play to me starts just inside the Canuck blue line, and Connor Zary does a really nice job of shielding the puck, but I, I just I felt that Lafferty had to do whatever it took to just force it across the blue line and make the Flames regroup, and he couldn't get it out. And from there, uh, the Flames were able to go tic-tac-toe. Unfortunately for them, they couldn't kill that off, and that gave Calgary the life that they were looking for to get on the board and get back into the hockey game. 
the the penalty kill is a little concerning, certainly for the Canucks. I mean, those numbers are going down like a stone. As one thing concerns you, another thing gets alleviated. Like all this talk about the even strength scoring, and the Canucks get no help from the power play tonight, and they score a bunch of even strength goals. So if you got everything going, your even strength scoring, your penalty kills working, and your power play, you're at the top of the league. You're you're winning the NHL. So uh, yeah, I'm concerned about the PK certainly, and th- there are some simple mistakes that are getting. Um, made that are leading to some of these goals that, you know, again, if you just play the basic sort of stuff, it probably gets prevented. And yet uh, they get these even strength goals, which are now starting to go in with regularity. So I I think he aimed to have two of three uh, working. Tonight they only had one of three working. I mean, again, PK didn't look good. Power play was whipping the puck around, but just had no bottom line. So um, I guess in a lot of ways they can be thankful that one out of three worked tonight and it was good enough to get the win. Before we leave that first period, I do think Canuck fans were sort of holding their breath just a little bit. Thatcher Demko gets bumped making a save and Blake Coleman and he got up slowly. And I was just thinking to myself, it was December 1st last year, the game against the Florida Panthers, where Demko went down and was out for basically three months. And here we are in December 2nd. And this idea of they can't afford uh, anything to happen to Demko. He's been that good for them. Uh, in the first couple of months of the season, but he was able to shake that off, stayed in the hockey game. I say this with no judgment, Jeff, but I, I thought he was looking for the call there and maybe trying yep. to, I mean, only he knows. So I, that was my thought when I first watched it, but but who knows? Like We saw Aiden Hill the other night. Vegas wasn't messing around. They got him out of there. The Canucks would do that with Thatcher Demko. You're not going to take any chances. He finishes the game, so you have to assume that uh, he was fine. Medical staff, coaching staff were fine with it, and and he was forced to make some saves the rest of the way. But the Canucks get out of the first period, 2-1. to one. You'll take that on the road all the time. And then the second period, man, I thought like this was going to be a big turning point, was that 5-on-3 for 61 seconds. They did everything but score. Like, it's hard for me to sit here and come down hard on the five on three, and yet they didn't score. And I thought the door is now, it's open again. It's open there for the Flames to come right back into this hockey game. So I guess the one thing that I would question a little bit is just the one shot on goal, ultimately. But Elias Patterson hit the post. Just about everybody had an opportunity. It felt like, it was funny though. I, I found this odd that they've gone away from Andre Kuzmenko on the first unit power play, but then they get a five on three and they put Kuzmenko out there instead of Hironic. And I thought of all the times in the game where you want a guy that can absolutely hammer the puck the way Hironic is, that seemed like a strange switch of personnel on the power play for a five on three. I did some mental gymnastics with that. So, you know, we were discussing this, we were watching it here at my place and, and I was sort of thinking to myself, Okay, they stop that because five on three, they want more bodies in front. They can still keep the umbrella up top with with the extra space, but then they can just stick two guys, and, and so they didn't maybe feel the need for two points. Others are arguing with all that space, why don't you have two cannons at the point piping in the shots too? So I think you can argue it both ways. It's just going to be uh, a different theory on on how to play the five on three. Yeah, and ultimately, again, they zip it around. There was uh, so many good looks there. Yes, you would love to have scored. They didn't, but neither did Calgary the rest of that period. And then, you know, the dying seconds of the second, that one felt like it was going to be a pretty significant goal for the Canucks clinging to a 2-1 lead to extend the lead to 3-1. to Some good work again, that Pedersen, Lafferty, Mikheyev line. And I think there was some confusion ultimately about who scored the goal 
but the way that it has been credited now, it is Mikheyev's goal. He's eighth of the season. Pedersen gets the primary assist. Originally, he didn't even get in on the scoring there, but he was in on that play, and so Pedersen does find the score sheet. Lafferty gets the second assist there, and, you know, 28 seconds to go in the second period to be able to extend the lead. The Canucks had to be feeling pretty good about the way things were sitting there through 40 minutes of play. Yeah, absolutely. Except that, you know, narrow third period margins, especially 2 2 seems to be the, the bugaboo for them. But yeah. even at 2 yeah. 1, I was thinking, that sounds like 2 2 to me. I hope that they don't come out with their 2 2 effort. And they didn't. I mean, it was it was still a really good third period up until the, the late frantic moments. Uh, they didn't blow the doors off the flames in any of these periods, but they were just good. They were just good enough. And that's okay, especially on the road. And yet, hey, McCabe gets the breakaway. I kind of rose to my feet going, here's the game. And McCabe does his early Yannick Hansen impression, and we yeah. were warned that McCabe is, is is a little bit like early Yannick Hansen, um, you know, before finding his touch, although eight goals is still not a bad total for McCabe at this point in the season. He scores there on the breakaway, and it really is over, but they'll take it. They'll, they'll, they'll still take the effort in the third period, and the, hey, the, uh, the win's a win. I just like the anticipation there, and then ultimately, that's probably the fastest we've seen Ilya yes. McKayev skate maybe in a Vancouver Canuck uniform. That you know, when you think last year, I mean, he played on you know one bad wheel the whole season before they shut him down. The fact that he recognized that Uyghur was struggling with the puck there, pounced on it, picked his pocket, and then you know nothing but daylight between him and Markstrom. So you know, tried to beat Markstrom on the blocker side, didn't happen for him there, but there was still enough in that play, I think, to be encouraged about that. You know, Ilya Mikheyev showed that breakaway, that separation speed is there. And there's still, you know, two thirds of this season where you think he's just with more reps, he's just going to continue to get stronger and stronger. We spoke to Milstein yesterday. He he said this is the end of the preseason really for him. You know, when you don't get the full training camp and preseason games, he equated this to the end of the preseason. So if we take his word for it, this is sort of what he should look for from this moment forward is how he should look. And, uh, hey, two-point night and that burst of speed, it's a, it's a good start um, for uh, game number one, if we're, if we're going to take him at that word. Well, let's get into Nikita Zadorov's night then. I mean, he was uh, one of the storylines, has been for the last 48 hours, and just the way the schedule worked, obviously, the storyline took care of itself, going back to Calgary for his Canuck debut. Ends up getting the game winner, his second goal of the season, 18:35 of that third period. Uh, when I look at him on the night, though, he plays 17 minutes and 37 seconds. And we'll talk more about Zadorov individually, but if you look at Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik's ice time in the fairly low 20s because they got another capable body in here that could take on some of those roles, some of those minutes, and you thought, you know, one goal, third period, that maybe they would lean on Hironik and, and Hughes the way they have for much of the season – but I think that that's sort of the byproduct of having another guy, another quality, capable NHLer uh, that you can spread the time around a little bit. And so uh, Zdorov on the ice for a couple of goals, four for the Vancouver Canucks. Didn't throw a hit. I thought maybe there, you know, he was going to look for that signature moment. It'll come, I'm sure. I'm sure he probably had an ex-teammate or two that he would have liked to have lined up if he could. But I thought he played reasonably well under tough circumstances for him. I mean, the idea of a pairing with Tyler Myers was kind of uh, hysterical this morning when we found out who he was going to play with. But I thought he played within himself. Right? Like I, I didn't think, you know, the, the sort of moment of going back against his flames weighed on him in any way, or if it did, he didn't show it on the ice. I just thought a pretty thorough, solid professional performance from a guy that can absolutely step in and help the Vancouver Canucks. I appreciate your joke there about, you know, an ex-team. But maybe this was the training wheels that was a nice starting point for Zadorov in that 
he probably wasn't going to be uh, running around with his head cut off uh, against his former team with so many friends on the other side. Apparently, he's apparently he's a great guy in the room, so everybody you know was pretty fond of him. So he didn't have grudges to exact against the former team. So he probably played within himself just a little bit there, and that probably helped him calm things down. And um, you know, it's funny to see those guys. I hadn't looked at that as you pointed out that Hughes and Roenick were, were you know, down to twenty two forty, but that's the case. And it's funny. I had made reference on Twitter to, to Quinn Hughes being on PP one and PP one point five because it was hard to get Hughes off on a couple of the power plays. He just kept on sticking around, even with the second unit for like twenty five seconds. So I would have guessed that it was an inflated number for him still. But it's nice to see that down. And Rona coming off the power play at times, I guess that explains a little bit as to why he's at 21-32. But, you know, that would be the perfect number. If, the, if this can be the template for these guys playing, and if Nikita Zadorov can, can play 17-37, by all means, that's a great recipe for success in my eyes. Um, Myers was up there at 22 minutes because he was getting some PP2 time as well. And he was a little bit chaos giraffe. You know, it's one thing for Demko to be fooled off the end boards, but one of you's got to be on that back post. And he ends up on his keister in the blue paint when the red light goes on. Didn't love that. But, uh, but it, you know, if, if he's going to remain the chaos giraffe, Zadorov cannot be. And uh, he avoided that tonight. And let's just go under the hood a little bit more with Nikita Zadorov because uh, when you talk about Quinn Hughes, up over six minutes of power play time for the Canucks. Only 17 seconds shorthanded, and we've seen Quinn Hughes take on more penalty killing, but part of that is Nikita Zadorov gets plugged in three minutes and 19 seconds shorthanded for Zadorov, got 39 seconds of power play time, and then 13-39 uh, at even strength. But it is that's going to be really fascinating thing to me is to see the balance and the equilibrium of whose minutes does he eat up in what situations. And so if taking Quinn Hughes off the penalty kill Quinn wanted that responsibility, and if they need him, he can do it. But if you can turbocharge him to use his superpowers in other areas that can really help you because you've got somebody now that can step in and eat up some of the penalty kill, uh, then I think that's a win-win for the Vancouver Canucks. And that is, I mean, Nikita Zadorov, I'm sure, has killed some penalties in his uh, career, but they weren't leaning on him a ton in Calgary to do that. I think he had 90 seconds per game um, killing penalties. He was fifth amongst the blue liners and in uh, in uh, PK time. So, I mean, he was out there, but not a lot for them. So for, if, for him to be pulling down 319, if he can get back onto that horse, and I'm sure there's been times in his career where he's logged more ice time on the PK than he has this season with the Flames, but a huge boost. And you know the wingspans work on the on the PK, right? But both him and Myers, I mean, just helicopters out there, and you you're halfway to the corner with your wingspan with a foot in the blue paint. So it can be very useful for sure. We wondered where was Andre Kuzmenko going to start the hockey game after finishing the other night against Vegas with JT Miller and Brock Besser. The coach talked about him earlier in the week when he got back after the back to back scratches uh, last weekend. And said he was just okay. And then he thought the third period against Vegas was maybe the best he had seen him all season. So from okay to best he's seen him, uh, I would imagine that uh, this probably fell somewhere in between on that spectrum. I, did, I didn't notice Kuzmenko an awful lot, but he did seem a little more engaged, I thought, in some wall work and some board battles. Certainly didn't hurt the Canucks. And, and I don't mind that look with Miller because I, I had some questions, like, as much as I appreciate what Sam Lafferty can do for the Canucks, I still don't necessarily like the idea of him in a top six role, but he's there because PDG came right out 
of the lineup. So lots of moving parts, but let's just start with Kuzmenko. Did you see him? Did you notice him much in this hockey game? Early, I did notice him because I sort of uh, popped up. And I was like, oh, where is he playing? Oh, he's playing there. Okay. And and I watched him and I thought in the first he looked pretty good. You know, this is maybe what fans see and what media see and maybe not what the coach sees necessarily because he might see the totality. But what was the rule that, that Rick Tockett said? I don't mind him doing the spins below the dots. And he was below the top of the circle, but I don't think he was quite below the dots there in the third period. He does the spin move, leads to a turnover, and he's a part of the back check, and it doesn't really end up as a glorious opportunity for the Flames, but they did immediately rush the other way as a result of the turnover off the spin. That would be an easy one to pick if you're Rick Tockett going, told you down lower than that because it was a three on two the other way. He was the he was the third guy back for the Canucks, so he was doing his part to re-engage in the play, but ultimately it was still an odd man rush the other way. So I, I hope for his sake that Rick Tocca doesn't pick him apart for that particular moment, but early on I thought it did work pretty well for uh, for him and, and JT Miller. Linus Carlson gets in over PDG and you know, look, if Kuzmenko can come out of the lineup twice, I think that sort of was a shot to anybody else that has been struggling here. I think Anthony Beauvillier probably would have uh, suffered that fate at some point before too long. Obviously, they peddled him. So I'm not surprised that Phil DiGiuseppe came out of the lineup. It really has been a struggle for him. You know, we wondered how long that Cinderella story of this guy that works hard but doesn't have a whole lot of a bottom line, how long would that last in the top six if this team is going to be successful you know, PDG's gone quiet. No points in six, uh, one assist and no goals in the last nine games. And his lone goal in the last 17 was an empty netter in Montreal a couple of weeks ago. So really there hasn't been any offensive contribution. He's going to work hard, but they've got guys that can, you know, play his role on the penalty kill. And so unless he brings extreme value there, uh, I, I'm curious to see where this goes moving forward from PDG. I don't think it's the last we've seen of him. He'll get back in at some point, but uh, Linus Carlson has his number drawn, and he has the distinction now of two NHL games, both at the Saddle Dome. I'm still trying to figure out ultimately what is he at the National Hockey League level, but it was hard to find passengers in this game from a Canucks perspective. And I thought I, the parts that I saw of Linus Carlson, I thought he was okay tonight. I think he got a late shift too. Um, and I think he got trapped on an icing, and yeah. he was out there on a defensive zone faceoff, and then they did a quick change because I noticed that too. And I thought, wow, is he out there with two minutes to go protecting a lead? <laughs> yes. But I, I do think, but he was like, hey, he was out there with two and a half to go right. before the icing. Yeah. So yeah, no, he was. He was out there for a late shift. First of all, I thought it was a kind of a ballsy move to take PDG out just because. It's the Flames. You know, the Flames are throwing everything in the kitchen sink at you right now because they're they're desperate for points. And it might have been a heavier game in the in the coach's mind. And PDG just kind of plays a little bit heavier. And if you tried to light a fire under him, maybe you could see some forechecking hits from PDG. And you replace him, you know, the, the two candidates maybe to come out are Oman and Carlson at this point, perhaps. And you know, those are young players, European players that an old schooler might be sort of tempted to say, oh, they're not the kind of players for a for a battle with the Flames. But he put some trust in them. Neither I thought were spectacular, but both were okay. And I I, I didn't feel like we're out of their element. So whether or not that's good enough to, to keep them in, and Oman obviously playing down the middle is going to have a little bit more leverage. Not that they don't have options because they have other guys that they can slide over, but Oman's probably in the driver's seat there. Carlson, probably a little bit uh, harder for him to stay in, but it was it was fine. Yeah, decent. Yeah, Nils Oman plays 11 minutes and 14 seconds in this hockey game. They 
Use him a fair bit as a penalty killer, over two minutes of shorthanded ice time. Linus Carlson, 10 minutes and four seconds, played three minutes of the of the final period. So, you know, when Rick Tockett starts to shorten the bench and things tighten up, uh, I think we all figured that he would be one of the guys that would see his minutes limited in the third period. But first night, a couple of weeks back, the Canucks, that was the end of that stretch of the first five and eight. And the team didn't have a whole lot. Like, it was a tough situation for him. He's certainly not the savior that you're going to plug into your lineup and expect to carry the hockey club. So... It was a tough night. I'm sure he was excited to make his NHL debut, but probably more excited to get uh, a victory here in his second game. And we'll see if there's more game action ahead for Linus Carlson as the Vancouver Canucks uh, move forward. They're coming on home, a five-game homestand. They don't play now till Tuesday. So for a team that uh, has struggled to catch its breath with uh, a compressed schedule through most of the month of November, uh, lightens up a little bit. Uh, they can put the suitcases away now before a four-game road trip in the middle of December, but at home for five, starting on Tuesday against uh, Travis Green and the New Jersey Devils. Of course, the Hughes brothers. That'll be the big storyline heading into that one. Minnesota's in town, Carolina, Tampa, and Florida. So four of the next five are against Eastern Conference opponents, but uh, the Canucks at home for five. So they can uh, just kind of catch their breath now and hope that the schedule starts to, to level out just a little bit. Uh, Canucks uh, were good enough to get a victory in Cowtown on Saturday night, 4-3. The final score, the Canucks beat the Calgary Flames. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. And before we go any further, Blake, we should mention that uh, it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. Lots of eyes, of course, on what's happening on the an NHL schedule tomorrow. And Avs and Kings will get a lot of people's eyeballs on Sunday. Uh, two great teams. And everybody's wondering how the Canucks fare against good opposition. Let's see how the Kings do as well as another young team looking to uh, make the next step in the National Hockey League playoffs and get out of the first round. 180 on the home side, but the visiting Avs, they're going to want one back because they gave one away on Saturday night. 205 on the Avs to steal a road victory. Breaking down a Canucks 4-3 win in Calgary. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Well, we covered a lot of ground there in the opening segment, Blake, but we always like to get inside the locker room and hear from the coach, and we'll hear from Quinn Hughes tonight. We won't hear from Zadorov, but uh, we will in days and, and weeks ahead, I'm sure, get an opportunity to catch up with uh, Nikita Zadorov when he gets back to Vancouver here and plays his first game at Rogers Arena. But uh, uh, Rick Tockett was asked after this game just uh, a little bit about the overall performance of his hockey club and the fact that they were pushed there in the late stages, but were able to come away ultimately with a victory. Yeah, I think just like uh, when there's pressure, it's a little more composure. I think that that's what will get your consistency. Communicate and talk. I think that at the end there, we were a little bit kind of um, standing around watching. But I think for the most part, um, I think the guys really played hard tonight. And now you got to kind of put it together again. You know, our next game against, I think it's Jersey. You know, we got to do the same kind of consistency, but just a little bit more composure. Yeah, it feels most nights that we hear that uh, line about uh, pressure meeting pressure. And they wilted a little bit at the end, but uh, again, you consider the fact that they had done enough to build a cushion that, you know, they had a little bit of uh, the luxury to give up the late goals and ultimately come away with two points. Yeah, I I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know that they score that, that extra goal if the Canucks don't give themselves the two goal cushion again with the original empty netter, you know, like they exhaled too much after the empty netter when, you know, if it was just a one goal lead, they're probably bearing down a little bit more. But I, I like what he said. I mean, there's 
this is not a team that's used to winning, Jeff. We've we've covered yeah. this team for a long time. Closing out games, and let's face it, in the first quarter of the season, they ran away from teams. But that's not going to happen for the rest of the year. Like the the, the 5-1 wins are going to become fewer and farther between here between now and April 15th. So, you know, holding on to one goal leads, they're going to have to figure out how to make that a little bit more slick looking than it was tonight. But ultimately, hey, they bent and didn't break. They still get the two points. They didn't have to go into to 60 minutes plus. Did you see the stat from the early game? The Toronto Maple Leafs, 50% of their games have gone past 60 minutes. Like, like that's not been the Canucks. Like, and be thankful for that. Like, they've decided games in 60 minutes. And and that just says a little bit about the ability of this team. But it, it's also going to come in handy with tiebreakers later on. So, yeah, a little composure down the stretch. It's uh, it's going to be a learned thing. Yeah, you know, the Canucks are 4-3-1 and one now in games decided by one goal. They're eight and three in games decided by three or more. So they've had so many blowouts and most of their losses, uh, they haven't been all that close. What struck me the other night when Vegas came to town, Vegas is 6-0-4 in 10 one-goal games. They've picked up a point in every game wow. decided by, like, that's how you do it. Yes. In the tight games, you know, you win more than you lose, and when you lose, you find a way to get it to overtime and you get a single point in the standing. So that's a, a remarkable record to me that uh, there's 6-0-4 in those 10 one-goal games. All right, back to the room. Let's hear from Quinn Hughes. Uh, obviously, Nikita Zadorov, his debut, settling in, joining the team in Calgary or when they got to Calgary on Friday, uh, morning skate and then uh, playing and the reaction to the crowd. Quinn Hughes is talking about what it means to have Nikita Zadorov on the Canucks side now. Obviously excited to have him. I mean, um, rare player that we haven't really had here and um, we're fortunate to have. So, you know, I don't think he played three years here. I was surprised by the boost, but he uh, said that that was going to be a possibility, but I thought he played great. And obviously it's not easy playing his first game here. I'm sure he had lots of emotions and whatnot. So um, I'm sure he's excited to get back to Vancouver. I like that. He called him a, a rare player. And I suppose uh, referring to his size, uh, and not just, I mean, he's tall. That's got to be the tallest defense pairing in the National Hockey League at 6'8 and 6'6, but it, he's a thick guy as well. Like he's uh, he's got the the size to go along, uh, the weight to go along with the height. And and we've seen, I mean, there are videos out there. He's just demolished players over the years, as we said, maybe the surprise, the fact that he didn't register a hit in this one, but maybe he took it easy on his old buddies in Calgary. So uh, saving up some of those hits that he's known for, uh, for the, the days and weeks ahead as he settles in now, 1-0 and as a member of the Vancouver Canucks is Nikita Zadorov. Let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver 3 stars selection. And we always like to start uh, by looking at the guys that were selected stars in the building Ilya Mikheyev, the first star, the second star, Philip Hironik, and Elias Lindholm, or Elias Lindholm. Uh, he was the uh, third star in the building. I've got Mikheyev as the first star as well. A goal, an assist, six shots on goal, and maybe the most noticeable play was that breakaway and that speed that serve it up. Let's see more of that. I just thought this was a night that uh, Ilya Mikheyev you know, you, get, you got glimpses of uh, what he can mean to this hockey club. And as you said, no, not the best finisher. And sitting out eight goals a third of the way through the season. If we're going to say he, he's been figuring stuff out and getting his legs underneath him, 
He's got 14 points in 21 games. If this is a guy figuring stuff out and, and getting his legs underneath him, what does that mean about the rest of his season? Like he, This might be a way more extraordinary chemistry than we even give it credit for if he's going to be better in and you know of himself going forward. So um, I, I think he's a really underrated piece of this Canucks puzzle right now, given that he's not been 100% in his entire time as a Canuck. And, and you raise a great point there. I mean, I'm saying a third of the way through the season, but he missed those first bunch of games. He's only played 21 of the 25 games. And so really, I mean, that almost puts him, you know, I mean, eight goals through 21 games. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's basically on a 30-goal pace. He's not going to get there. But uh, again, chipping in here and there, and that line was terrific. So that's why I've got Sam Lafferty as the second star in this hockey game. You know, brought in as depth, but this is a guy that from day one, Speed is his calling card, but not shy either to get involved physically and has shown that there's enough there in the way of his hands to add a little bit of offense. And so he gets his sixth of the year. He also gets an assist on the McKayev goal. And he went 4-0 in the faceoff circle. He wasn't called upon to take a bunch of draws, but as uh, the lone right-handed uh, center on this hockey club brought in at the time because they didn't have a right-handed center if he steps in and takes face-offs, go 4-0. That's a pretty good night of the office there. So uh, I've got McCabe and Lafferty. And then I know that they had a flame. And in a one-goal game, take your pick of uh, some of the Calgary guys. But uh, I just thought, I'm going with Zadorov. Why not? Uh, we'll throw him a nod as the third star. I thought he acquitted himself well. And at the end of the night, uh, he comes out victorious in a building that he had called home for three years, but playing on the other side. So I'm sure he's relieved that the night is over. And the Canucks don't see the Flames now till uh, much, much later in the season. They're done in Calgary, so it doesn't have to go back again this season. But Flames will make two trips to Vancouver much later in the schedule. But a, a wild 48 hours for him. And I'm sure uh, at the end of the night, uh, he's happy that uh, he got the win and that uh, he won't have to play out this scenario again for a while. I know that it's it's folly to sort of pray for full health for an NHL team because it just so rarely happens that you play more than a few games with uh, especially your blue line entirely intact, but uh, dare to dream if you're a Canucks fan. Like this blue line, um, even as it stands, with no Ethan Bear signed, just with Carson Soucy inserted into this grouping, like it's... That's a full-blown National Hockey League blue line. Like they're they're not they're not forcing things anymore, and uh, it, it could be pretty exciting, especially with that they become the the biggest blue line on the planet. I think um, once Carson Soucy returns, and that's that's going to be interesting. I'm not saying I'm I'm saying it's going to be the best blue line in the NHL, but it's going to be an interesting blue line at the very least. Hey, still ahead here on this program, uh, we've got the stat that stands out. We are going to get uh, to some listener feedback as well. We'll touch on the Canucks penalty kill because on a night when they win and they do a lot of good things, the penalty kill is becoming a little bit of a concern, at least for me, and I would think for the coaching staff as well. And certainly we've lived through that over the last bunch of seasons. So uh, a lot's gone right for the Vancouver Canucks this year, but uh, the penalty kill taking on a little bit of water. Uh, so we'll touch on that. Whatever else we can squeeze into the final segment on a night, the Canucks beat the Flames by a score of 4-3. to three. This is Rink-Wide Vancouver. Rink 
breaking down a Canucks 4-3 victory over the Calgary Flames. It's Jeff and Blake with you here, Rinkwide Vancouver. Uh, we wondered, and we said right off the top, I mean, it would have been an incredible storyline, but they've watched the video, they've re- reviewed the tapes, and uh, the empty netter now belongs to Elias Pettersson. So Nikita Zadorov had what turned out to be the game winner for, what, the better part of uh, 15 or 20 minutes after the game, but uh, now EP40 with the empty netter, his 10th goal of the season. A while there where he didn't have any points, because they awarded the assist on the Mikheyev goal as well. And I was thinking to myself, Patterson played too well, I thought, not to figure in the scoring in this hockey game. Like, he was invested. He was dug in, I thought, right from the start. Six shot attempts, and I've been monitoring his shooting lately, and the numbers have been down. So good to see him shooting the puck, rang the one off the post on the five-on-three. Drew two penalties as well in this hockey game. So it was impossible to say that he, he wasn't a factor. And that line with Lafferty and Mikheyev was really good. So uh, at the end of the night... Uh, this felt a little bit more like, uh, you know, a, a night where EP40 was one of the, the star performers, I thought, because uh, he comes out of the night with a couple of points. Wins the Corsi battle, was a plus three. And, and that's also notable because we've also seen Elias Pedersen not great defensively lately. Uh, I mean, both of those guys uh, down the middle, Miller and Pedersen, had a wonderful start in the 200-foot sense over the first 15 games of, of the season. It started to slip for both of them, though, in the last couple of weeks. And that's the most concerning because that just seems like it's a gas in the tank sort of uh, uh, problem. But all of it was working for him. He was way more invested, as you can, as you said. Um, and that's invested in both directions and the willingness to take the shots. To me, the one that he rung off the crossbar on uh, the power play was vintage sort of Elias Pedersen shooting. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's that's a really good sign that – you know, if there was a wrist problem, um, maybe it's starting to feel a little bit better because that that rung, pardon the pun, a little more, more true to what we think of Elias Pettersson and his shot. And with seven shot attempts, it clearly wasn't bugging him that much here tonight in this one. Time now for our stat that stands out. And for me, I mean, we've talked almost every post game about Philip Ronick and his role here and just the, the opportunity that he's getting and the way he's responded to it and how he's exceeded expectations. Because I don't think a lot of Canuck fans truly knew uh, an awful lot about this guy or his game. I mean, he doesn't ever speak to the media. You know, he, he's quiet off the ice, but he's letting his play speak uh, volumes for him. Uh, had three assists at one point, but uh, scaled back to two. Still, he was in on both of the first couple of goals in this hockey game. And the stat that stands out for me is he's got 25 points in 25 games. And in a contract year, this is going to be fascinating. There was so much focus on Elias Pettersson, and there still will be ultimately. I mean, it's going to be the biggest contract in Canuck history. At least it's certainly, we think that that's going to be the case whenever it gets done. And I know Elliot Friedman was talking about uh, him as part of the news package on Hockey Night. Uh, so that storyline is not going away. But the more Horonic does this, a point-a-game guy, and to think that he's uh, second among the Canuck defenders in scoring with 25 points in 25 games, is uh, it's almost comical. But uh, it is going to be wild to see, you know, can he keep up this pace? And I don't expect him to be a point-a-game. Like, I, I do not expect Philip Horonic to be an 80-point defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks. But... If you got 25 at the 25 game mark, all of a sudden 60 seems imminently doable. And what does that mean? I mean, the best thing for the Canucks is that Quinn Hughes signed for what he did, which, by the way, after the cap jumps up, 7.8 for three more years of Quinn oh. Hughes after this looks like a steal. Like, that's almost Nathan McKinnon-like, you know, thievery, I think, for the Canucks for these three years still left on Quinn Hughes' contract. But you can bet that the Vancouver Canucks are going to play the, ah, see, we've got this cap here. You're going to have to come in under Quinn Hughes. 
you know, he's the Norris Trophy finalist here uh, in the group. So, you know, based on that scale, you're going to come in here at this number because if there was no such thing as Quinn Hughes on this team, and maybe those point totals aren't what they are if there's no such thing as Quinn Hughes, but, uh, you know, if Quinn Hughes, let's say Quinn Hughes is making $10 million, which wouldn't which wouldn't be crazy in this year or maybe in years to come for Quinn Hughes, but if he's already got the big money contract Quinn Hughes does and he's at 9 or $10 million, then I think I think Rona can ask for seven and a half. I don't know that he can ask for seven and a half, given that Quinn Hughes is just there himself. Yeah, and I think the Canucks will absolutely work that angle of the internal salary cap. But still, he's getting a raise, and he's just having a an incredible season. He's been given every opportunity in the world, and he's making the most of it. So, yeah, 25 points in 25 games for Phil Hironik, uh, definitely a stat that stands out. We'll get to some listener feedback to our uh, social channels at Rinkwide Van in a sec, but we did talk uh, in the opening segment about the penalty kill that, I mean, so much has gone right for the Vancouver Canucks, but Blake, I, I am, like, I, I guess I'm just surprised that I feel like I've been transported back in time to the last couple of seasons now when the Canucks take penalties. And I mean, the numbers are what the numbers are. The Flames end up going two for five in the power play here. So the Canucks have given up a power play goal in four straight games, six of their last seven. The one that stands out now is the game in Seattle where they had to kill off four first period penalties, and they did, and they looked good doing it that night. But And there were later penalties in this hockey game where the penalty kill did come through for the Canucks. But just percentage-wise, like it's not that much higher, and I haven't seen the update after the game here, but it's not a whole lot higher than where it finished at the end of last year. And we know that last year it was dead last in the National Hockey League. It's not that low this year, but it just felt like they addressed that with the personnel, the systems and the structure, a healthy Thatcher Demko. Like it just feels like the component parts are there that it should be way better than it is. It's a different way to get to a similar number. Like last year, it was calamitous all the time. And when they killed things off, it was just, it felt like it was by the hair on their chin. Um, but now the good kills look good, as you referenced, but the bad ones still look really bad. Like the, the, they're still calamitous mistakes, I feel like, and just simple things to iron out where you're just kind of like, how is that happening here? So the consistency is going to be key and it's clearly in them. We've seen it uh, already early, early this season when they were quite good on the PK and then even in the micro, um, half the time when they are killing them off, they look pretty good. They look pretty stout and there's desperation and there's shop blocks and, and they're hitting the glass and out, but then something happens, you know, 30% of the time where it looks really bad. So yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it, it'll be up to the coaches to figure out how to extract that consistency out of them, but they have to eliminate these loud mistakes. And Carson Soucy's not coming back probably until early in the new year. And Pia Suter just a complete mystery now. And they miss those guys. I think that much is evident that certainly in that facet of the game, that's an area that they miss those two players. Uh, all right. I want to get into the social channels here. A little bit of feedback from the listeners. Guy saying Petey had a little more jump. McKayev looked faster. Called it a good road win. We uh, think have covered those topics. Ernie saying Juleson needs to be sent down to the AHL. His decision-making is concerning and, of course, took the penalty late with the puck over the glass. But they continue to run Noah Juleson out there ahead of Mark Friedman. And it'll be interesting to see if they flip-flop those two, if uh, a tough night for Juleson opens the door for uh, Friedman to get back in there. We'll, we shall see. But, again, I think you go by the coach's deployment of players to know what the coaches think. And they had the option. They, they could have played Friedman in this game 
they elected to go with Noah Juleson. But now that Zadorov is here, maybe you don't need Juleson. Like if penalty killing was one of the things that was keeping Noah Juleson in the lineup, uh, maybe that will be reassessed. We'll see. Jacob saying Lafferty stood out for him. Yeah, we've talked about him. Chris saying Miller looked out of sorts tonight, wasn't skating or engaging at all. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't the best night for JT Miller, but in some ways, isn't that a positive that the Canucks can still get a road win where they've leaned on JT Miller, he's risen to the challenge just about every night out. You know, you're not going to be at your best all 82, and I would agree that that line, you know, he had that chance that we talked about, the shorthanded chance in the first period. You know, that's not JT at his very best, and they still get a win, then I think you have to look at it, or you can look at it uh, through a positive lens in that regard. The only thing I'll add to that, the only concern I have adding to that is that Miller called himself out for the for the Vegas performance, right. and I, so I would have thought he would have been a little bit more shot out of a cannon tonight, a little bit more of like what we saw to Pedersen, and and that didn't seem to be the case. So a um, couple nights off now before they play uh, again, so maybe a, ch- a chance to uh, to rest up. And again, their twenty five games played is way ahead of everybody but Vegas, um, so they they are owed some rest here, and they've only got three game weeks over the next couple as well. So a little bit of a slower pace. Yep. And maybe that'll help some guys like Miller, who have played so wonderfully this season. Maybe he just needs a little bit more rest. Yeah, played well and obviously played a ton. And so yes. the fact that things slow down a little bit, uh, no back-to-backs now until they're out on the road again. They've got back-to-backs in Minnesota and Chicago in the middle of the month, but uh, nothing certainly on this five-game homestand. Colin and Planning saying well-played overall, even with a, an interesting last three minutes. And Andy said, fastest he's seen McKay of skate since he got to Vancouver. And, and I agree with that, and we touched on that earlier in the show. Uh, Tuesday should be fun. I mean, uh, we've had fun watching Quinn Hughes every night out. Now you sprinkle in Jack and Luke and the fact that they're all playing and playing remarkably well. Like that feels like a game that needs three pucks. Like (laughs) there's not enough puck to go around and Travis Green's return obviously becomes a sort of a a sidebar story as an assistant coach there with the New Jersey Devils. Devils, uh, they're smarting. They got beaten by the San Jose Sharks. Now think back a week ago and uh, people here felt the sky was falling when the Canucks lost to the Sharks. San Jose scored six times on the New Jersey Devils' first road win on Friday night, and the Devils don't play now until Tuesday, so they'll have some practice time. Uh, they got to fly this way across the continent, obviously, but uh, you know that they're going to be looking to bounce back after getting uh, shelled by the Sharks. With no Dougie Hamilton, and Simon Nemich is now up, the young guy who, who actually had uh, two assists in his debut, so... Um, you know, but Dougie Hamilton's their top defenseman. Um, you know, above Luke Hughes, so it's it's gonna be an interesting one. Like they 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 started really well, but the Devils are there for the taking. Yeah, and we'll see if the Canucks can do that uh, again. Uh, three Hughes brothers for the price of one. That'll be the storyline, and uh, let's hope that they all put on a show worth the price of admission most nights. Canucks were worth the price of admission, and there's lots of fans. That's the other thing, too, in these games in Calgary now, and when I was out traveling, so many transplants from BC, they show up at the Saddle Dome, and anytime the Canucks score, you hear it there. Canucks fans, uh, they were entertained, the ones that watched it uh, on TV as well. Canucks get a win against the Calgary Flames, their 16th victory of the season, 4-3. They win at the Saddle Dome. That's going to do it for this episode. From Blake, it's Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway. Betway.